We're going to be looking at the book of Ephesians. I joke about this at, at the church I attend over in Calcutta uh, because I get to preach about six times a year. And so each time I preach, we do Ephesians. I figure before I die, we'll get done. Maybe. I don't know. Last time I was here, we got to look at Ephesians chapter 2. I've since moved on to 3. So I want to take you there with me today. If you would look at Ephesians chapter 3. Today we're going to look at the first 13 verses together. In chapter 3. So while you're finding that, I'll kind of remind you, uh, in his letter to the Ephesian church, Paul begins in chapter 1, expounding the riches of our salvation. In chapter 2, he shares the reasons for our salvation. And so now as we begin looking at chapter 3, he begins by talking about the revelation or the revealing of our salvation. Let's read chapter 3, verses 1 to 13. If you'll please follow as I read it, to get, read it with you. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given me by the working of his power. To me, Though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring light to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. As we begin looking at these verses together, let's first look at the first six verses. Verses one to six, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I think it's interesting how Paul states whom he's a prisoner of. Paul states he's a prisoner, but did you notice? 
He's not a prisoner of the Jews. He's not a prisoner of the Romans. No, Paul states that he is a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Paul recognized that it is by the sovereignty of his great God that he was where he was. He was a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And he even goes a little step further and tells us why. For the Gentiles. Paul knew no earthly authority had the final say about him. Jesus did. And only Jesus would determine how long he would be there. As we read the letters of Paul, we discover that Paul was able to grasp God's role in history. Pastor, John, Pastor Ray Stedman writes, like, in, uh, like John in the book of Revelation, John, Paul recognized God is the one holding the reins of government in his hands. Well, that's good to know. God is the one who opens and no man shuts. God is the one who shuts and no man opens. God is the one who orders and his will is carried out. Paul knew, therefore, that any time the Lord Jesus decided Paul's imprisonment would be of no further value, he would be set free. And Pastor Stedman says that, that when the Lord Jesus spoke, those who had him imprisoned would act. Therefore, he saw himself as being a prisoner of Christ. You know, that's a, a good lesson for you and me. We sometimes become worried and anxious about the political powers that are doing what they're doing in the world today. Would that we had the faith of Paul who understood so clearly that the government was not in control. Jesus is. Paul is maintaining a, a correct, godly perspective. That's why he could say there's always something to be thankful for. He's always telling us, be thankful, rejoice. Like the story told of the Scottish minister who was known for being able to look at the bleakest situation and find something to be thankful for. One dark Sunday morning when the weather was freezing, it was wet, stormy. One of his deacons whispered, I'm sure that preacher won't be able to thank God for anything on a day like this. It's absolutely horrible outside. So that Scottish minister got up and began the service by saying, we thank the old God that the weather's not always like this. <laughs> you know, Paul recognized where he was. And he was there because God had appointed him an apostle, an apostle to bring the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. Paul was a servant for Christ. He actually used the words bond slaved. He was a bond slave to use his words. He was bound to Christ. And as I was thinking about that, I was reminding we are all bound to something. We're all serving 
someone. It may be ourselves. There's a a wonderful worldly scholar. You may have heard of him, Bob Dylan. He had a song once. It was called, You Gotta Serve Somebody. Have you ever heard Bob Dylan's You Gotta Serve Somebody? Here's some of the lyrics. They're profound. You may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You might like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes. Indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. And a couple other verses come and go. Here's another one. You may be rich or you may be poor. You may be blind or lame. You may be living in another country under another name. You might own guns. You might even own tanks. You might be somebody's landlord. You might even own banks. You may be a preacher with your spiritual pride. You may be a city councilman taking bribes on the side. And then it gets really, really deep. You may call me Terry. You may call me Timmy. You may call me Bobby. You may call me Zimmy. You may call me RJ. You may call me Ray. You may call me anything, but no matter what you say, still you're going to have to serve somebody. So that comes from the great theologian Bob Dylan. Well, the Apostle Paul had determined he was going to serve Christ. And he was submitted to that. We read in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, but thank God he has made us captives and continues to lead us along in Christ's triumphal procession. Now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. Look back at our text. At the end of that first verse, Paul states he is where he is for a reason. On behalf of you Gentiles. How'd he end up here? It was the Jewish opposition. Those who opposed Paul's mission from God to the Gentiles, that's what led him to being in prison. We read about it in the book of Acts. That what it was the Jews that prompted him to, the, the crowd to be stirred up against Paul. And Paul had the reputation for teaching exactly what he had wrote earlier in Ephesians chapter 2. And they didn't like it. So they rose up against him. They rose up against the fact that he was teaching that by abolishing the divisive elements of the law, Jesus was creating a new people and building a new temple. So they arrested him. He was arrested because he believed what God had revealed, had revealed. He was arrested because he preached that God had now made a new way for the Gentiles. A way for them to have the same access to God that the Jews did. And that's the mystery Paul is talking about. When we get to verse 4, it says, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed 
to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now think about what Paul starts there. He says, insight into the mystery of Christ. Four times in our text today, Paul uses the word mystery. In verse 3, verse 4, 6, and 9. Now most of us enjoy a good mystery. And when we hear the word mystery, our minds go to things like Sherlock Holmes. Now, if you're old like me, Columbo. CSI, maybe, Monk. Area 51, that's a famous one. I don't know, maybe Big Books. Bigfoot is a mystery, I don't know. In English, the word mystery is something dark, something obscure, something secret, puzzling. What is mysterious is unexplainable. But in Greek, mysterion, it speaks of that which was once hidden is now revealed. Ephesians 3, if you've got a heading there at the top of the chapter, it probably is something about mystery. In the New Living Translation, it says God's mysterious plan. And I think in the ESV, it's the mystery of the gospel revealed. What is the mystery? What is the thing that was once hidden that is now revealed? It is that the Jew and Gentile are made into one new body through Jesus. Now, both Jew and Gentile come to God the Father the same way, through Christ the Son. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1, I have become its, well, the church's servant by the commission of God, gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mystery is all about Jesus and how through his sacrifice now, along with the Jews, the Gentiles are also included in God's great plan of salvation. When you consider how Paul stops in verse 1 before he starts praying, because actually, when we get down to verse 14, you'll see he's going to pray. And he says the, almost the very same phrase that he starts the verse chapter 3, 1, you'll see in verse 14. But he pauses, and it's almost like he wants to pause before he prays to make sure they understand something. I'm good at doing that too. I'm not always a good listener. Are you a good listener? Sometimes when you're telling me things, I'm thinking about the next thing I'm supposed to say. Well, you know you do it too. But Paul's like, wait, before, you, before we go on, I want to make sure you understand something. It's almost, he, he takes time now to talk about this mystery because he wants them to not take their salvation for granted. I'm so glad that Donald pointed out even in numerous ways through the songs and through the scripture today 
about, and even when we were praying before the service, about how sometimes we take for granted the salvation that we have. Paul doesn't want the Ephesians to do that. Sadly, many in the church today, perhaps even us, may be taking our salvation so lightly. So Paul has a burden on his heart to let them know that this whole thing had to be revealed to him first. First, it had to be revealed to me, he tells them. And now it must be revealed to you. He had to reveal it to them. It was not his idea. It was not some, some other guy's idea. It was God's idea. Look at verse four. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. And then verse five, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the spirit. Now, first of all, if you think or I think that the Old Testament never mentions anything about the Gentiles being allowed in, we're wrong. That's incorrect. It does. As a matter of fact, Paul himself often spoke of the Old Testament when he spoke before the Jews. He wasn't preaching heresy. In their own scriptures, through their own prophets, God had already mentioned that others who were not called his people would be allowed in one day. The difference is, he says in verse five, it was not made known as it has now been revealed. In other words, it was alluded to, but it has never been as clear as it is now. Look at verse six. Now he's going to start explaining the overwhelmingness of the salvation they have, reminding them that they are, in verse 6, they are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, if we were looking at more of three today, in verse seven, verse 14, he starts his prayer. But listen what he prays for him in verse 17. Listen, well, you, have, you have it there in front of you probably. He will pray for them that they being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He's telling them, have you really considered what you've got? Have you really considered what God has done? That you are now fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise. Remember back in chapter one, when he was telling that whole great big scheme of things that God has done for them and, and has prepared for them. But what about us here today in the tri-state area? You and I, Gentiles, we were shut out until Acts chapter 8 when God singled out this guy, Paul, to preach the message. And the center of evangelism shifted from Jerusalem to Antioch. And then the message went out into the world that anyone 
whether Jew or Gentile, can come in through the Lord Jesus Christ. We too, you and I, if we have put our trust in Christ, we are fellow heirs. We have the same right to the benefits of the covenant of God's grace as the Jews did. We too are members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. In Ezekiel chapter 36, we read, And I will give you a new heart. And I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your, sto your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. That's what God has done for you and I. Right now to the Jew and Gentile alike who individually come to Christ and put their trust in him, a new heart is given at the moment of belief. Do you realize what you have? Do I realize what I have? We are talking about what we have in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Riches beyond measure. Let us not take it for granted. Let's look at verses 7 to 9. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. You know, it's kind of interesting. He ends that section of, of the text with who created all things. We've got to remember there were a lot of different people worshiping a lot of different gods. He wanted to make sure, you know, you know this is the God who created all things. He's clarifying. I want to make sure you understand. This is the God who created all things. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this part begins, this grace was given. Verse 8, that's where it says, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints. Can you believe Paul would say that the very least of all the saints? We look at him and go, what a giant man of God. I like Pastor Ray Steadman. Uh, some of the things he writes helps me to have a better understanding. Listen to what he says about this. I know some people think Paul is merely being polite here kind of depreciating himself as we might. But I am sure the apostle felt deeply in his heart what he put into words. This is not looking back to when he was a Pharisee. This is a present assessment of his worth. The very least of all the saints. In fact, if you look at many different commentaries about this particular passage, you'll see as we go through Paul's life, a gradual change in his idea about himself. In some ways, you and I see that same thing happening even in our own hearts and lives as we mature in Christ. But listen, in 1 Corinthians, which was written earlier, he says, I am the least of the apostles. Here in Ephesians, he says, I am less than the least, <laughs> the very least. And then by the time you get to 2 Timothy... He says, I am the chief of sinners. 
See what's happening to Paul? Perhaps Paul was learning what Jesus meant in uh, in chapter 11 of Matthew. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you. Because I'm humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. We want to become like Christ. Looking back to verse 7, Paul writes of this gospel, of this good news, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. Paul knew it was only because of the grace of God and God's divine work within him that was operating in and through him that he was able to do what he was called to do. He's making sure they understand It's only because of what God has done that I'm able to do this. It was God who took an evil opponent of the gospel and transformed him. It was God who made him a minister to proclaim the very message he used to oppose. Listen to how he describes himself in 1 Corinthians 5.10. But whatever I am now, it is because God poured out his special favor on me. And not without results. (laughs) And not without results. For I have worked harder than any of the other apostles. Yet it was not I, but God working through me by his grace. He goes on in our text, verse 8. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Unsearchable. I guess you could say unfathomable incomprehensible, untraceable, inexhaustible, or what about beyond the grasp of mere human understanding? Ephesians 1.3, if we take a look back what he said, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. We have All the spiritual blessings because we are united with Christ. He has chosen and made us holy in Christ. Are we mindful of that? He has granted us full status as his children with all the benefits that go with it. The blood of his son has taken away the guilt of our sins. And we stand before him as perfectly accepted. He has bought us out of eternal condemnation, redeemed us by the blood of his son. He has forgiven us and our debt of sin has been canceled. He has given us wisdom. He has given us insight through his word, revealing to us his desire to bring all things together to glorify his son. He has sealed us with the Holy Spirit, placing his mark of ownership upon us. And he has made available to you and I the peace that passes understanding and the assurance that nothing is able to separate us from his love that is in his son. First Corinthians chapter two tells us no eye has seen. No ear has heard and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. This was the gospel. He was talking about the gospel. 
No eye, no ear, no mind has imagined this great gospel. We think that's about heaven. It's about this great gospel. The good news of God's unsearchable riches that Paul now had been commissioned to bring. Look at verse 10. So that through the church, this was the verse we read together earlier. The manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. I like the way the New Living Translation puts that last verse, verse 13. Actually, I want to I read just a part of that whole verse there uh, from the New Living. Uh, starting at verse 10, God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And then he ends with, so please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I'm suffering for you. So you should feel honored that through the church, the manifold wisdom might now be made known to the rulers and authority in heavenly places. First of all, we've got to consider one thing. I know you've considered this before. God has always had an eternal purpose. Always. We read about it when we were in Ephesians 1. You may not have been for that one because I don't think I did that one here. But you've read Ephesians 1. This is the plan, he says in Ephesians 1. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and everything on earth. God has always had an eternal plan. And as we read there in verse 10, God wants those who we cannot see, the rulers, the authorities in the heavenly places, to see us. He wants them to see us. Angels? Good ones rejoicing? Luke 15 tells us about those. Look, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Angels, evil ones, watching closely as it all unfolds, as God's eternal purpose unfolds. Oh, I imagine there were times when those on the evil side thought they were winning. You know, the story unfolds with Christ's birth. And then they're thinking, ah, that'll come to a close. Herod will take care of it. He's made a plan. All the ones under two years will be killed. No problem. What? They, they escaped to Egypt. Oh, okay. That's okay. Judas, he's our man. Judas will take care of it. See, 
What? Oh, yeah, the cross. The cross. That'll do it. The cross. That'll take care of him. Yeah. Peter denied him. Yeah, go, Peter, go. What? He's alive? He, he, he rose again? Well, okay. That's a downer, but hey, we still got Saul. Saul of Tarsus. He'll take care of that situation. What do you mean he's one of them? You see, they're watching it all unfold. And they're thinking, ah, things are going to go the way we... But you know what? You and I need to put our trust in our God. Because sometimes we think we see things unfolding a certain way too, don't we? When the hardships come and the trials come. But never you fear. Don't lose heart. Our God is in control. We must understand all things are moving according to God's eternal plan. And he has placed us in this great creation he calls the church. And you and I, as amazing as it may think, as we may think, you and I are revealing the manifold wisdom of God. John Piper writes about it. Listen to what John Piper writes about the church, and I'll close with this so that you and I can truly begin to understand the manifold wisdom of God. God loves us. God wanted to bring redemption to us, but he realized there's a cost to redemption. And a part of his manifold wisdom recognizes that. But we are the church, Matt. And listen to what John says about the church, John Piper. The, the church of Jesus Christ is the most important institution in the world. You know, some people think it's the UN. The church of Jesus Christ is the most important institution in the world. The assembly of the redeemed. It's us. The company of the saints. The children of God are more significant in world history than any other group, organization, or nation. The United States of America compares to the church of Jesus Christ like a speck of dust compares to the sun. The drama of international relations compares to the mission of the church like a kindergarten riddle compares to Shakespeare. And all the pomp of May Day in Red Square and the pageantry of New Year's in Pasadena fade into formless gray against the splendor of the bride of Christ. Take heed how you judge. Things are not what they seem. All flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord and all his family abide forever. The media and all the powers and authorities and rulers and all the stars that they present are a mirage. 
Luke 16 says, For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The gates of Hades, the powers of death, will prevail against every institution but one, the church. Romans 8 says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Because the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the liberty of the glory of the children of God. Lift up your eyes, O Christians. You belong to a society that will never cease to the apple of God's eye, to the eternal and cosmic church of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul, in these first few verses, first 13 verses there in chapter 3, is letting them, or giving them a, a quick understanding of what God has done to put him in this position to preach the truth of the Gentiles. And you and I receive it as well today. His truth for us. God's truth for us. For Paul didn't write because some man told him to. Paul didn't become who he was because some man instructed him. He became who he was because God made him that person. And God gave him the very words for us today. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word and thank you for the encouragement again today of you seeking to include us, many of us who are not a part of the Jewish family, to be included in your family. I pray that you would use this sermon in each of our lives, especially mine, O oh God. I am so grateful for what you have done for me. And thank you for your word today. May it uh, benefit us as we walk through this week. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.